Jim Elliott, the missionary who was killed I, as he served the Lord on the field, said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. May we be willing to say, Lord, I give my life to thee. Well, looking at the book of Ezra with me, we began this message last Wednesday. We're going to finish it tonight in regards to revival praying. Uh, do we hunger for revival? Amen. Let's try that again. Do you hunger for revival? Amen. I, me too, man. I'm looking forward to what God wants to do in our midst, I'm, but not just here in church services, but in my own heart and in my own life, because without Him, I am nothing. I'm reminded of that old song, without Him, I could do nothing. Without Him, I'd, I'd be enslaved. And so we need the Lord Jesus Christ today, and not just for our salvation, but for our everyday living. And so we see this in the life of Ezra. Matter of fact, if you look in Ezra chapter 9 is where our text is, but just back up a few verses. In Ezra chapter 8, in verse number 21, he says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of Him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. For I was ashamed to require of the king. He said, I didn't want to ask the king. It, it, it wasn't his problem in verse 23. So we fasted and besought our God for this, and he was entreated of us. Isn't that a wonderful testimony? Ezra was a tremendous man of God, and I'm excited about what we can learn from his prayer today. Last time we kind of had the lead up into this message as we looked at Ezra's life and, and his convictions about serving the Lord, and we saw that, that we still serve a God who desires to revive. Amen. We're reminded that his hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. And so we're thankful that we can come before the Lord tonight, and we can be encouraged, we can be strengthened, and yea, we can even hear from the Lord from his word tonight. And so my desire is that we would be reminded that we serve a mighty God, and though an host should encamp against us, my heart shall not fear, the war should rise against me, and this will I be confident, that the Lord is my light and my salvation, and I shall not fear. Amen? And so as we come together tonight, I just want to encourage a church, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and we serve a wonderful and mighty God tonight. You still believe that? Amen. Me too. And I'm so thankful that we can preach that same message that's been preached for 2,000 years, that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God who came, He died, He rose again, literally, physically, to bring salvation to all mankind. And He still desires to seek and to save that which is lost. And that's me. So January 31st, 1988, I bowed my head as a, as a child and said, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and He saved me gloriously. Never once has His salvation been removed. It was permanent once forever. My name was written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, and there's no eraser for the blood of Jesus. Amen? I tell you what, that's exciting news. And when we as, church, as a church get a hold of the truth of that, I, I tell you, it can stir our heart and bring revival to us once again. And Ezra believed in a mighty God. And as we saw that in, in chapter 8, just in the beginning there, we see that he believed God more than he trusted in man. And he said, listen, we're going we're gonna to trust God. We're going to watch God provide. And then he said, and the Lord was entreated. The Lord heard. The Lord supplied. Well, folks, I believe God, that's the same God we serve today. I believe we still serve the same God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, as Hebrews 13, 8 reminds us. And we can come before Him tonight with great confidence because we serve a mighty God. So it reminds you a little bit of the condition of Israel. And this is going to be in Ezra chapter 9 and verses 1 through 8 is what we're going to read tonight for our text and our, and our scriptures. 
But as we see this, we're going to see the things that's going on. They've, they've kind of grown cold in the Lord, and they've kind of walked away from the Lord a little bit. And so in the midst of this, Ezra is greatly burdened because as a man of God, he hates to see the sin that had permeated the life of people in Israel. And so his desire, his heart, was that they would come back to the Lord. And I, and, I, and I don't know about you, but I know every day I'm burdened by the things that we see in the world around us. And every day I'm burdened by the direction of so many Christians today as, they, as we just live this life down here with no care or concern about what God may want. But I'll remind you, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. And God has called us to keep our eyes on Him, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I'm so thankful that he has reminded us that he is worthy of our attention. He's worthy of our affection. He's worthy of our worship. And so Ezra prepared his heart. In Ezra chapter 7 and verse number 10, he prepared his heart to seek the Lord. He, he was willing to do it. He applied it in his life. And he was willing more than anything to just uh, share that instruction as well. And so we saw that in Ezra, Ezra's life, in the midst of all that was going on, God used one man to, to uh, help the people of Israel. But there was also other prophets along the way. Haggai, Zechariah, they, they came along and they helped him and, and preached, continued to preach this message. Nehemiah came along later and he helped spring this revival. And I tell you, they read the Word of God. They got on their knees before the Lord. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Well, they found that was the truth. And I tell you, the Lord worked mightily in Ezra's day. And so we saw last week the reaction of Ezra as well. And in this reaction, we saw that instead of complaining and being bitter against the, uh, the sins that were going on, and remember the sins were an intermarriage and an intermingling with those who were unbelievers. And, and as a result, it brought immorality, it brought idolatry into Israel. These were the same sins that caused them to be kicked out of Israel in the first place. These are the same things that caused them to be removed from the promised land and from God's promises on their life. And so they knew, and Ezra knew, they had to come back to this place of humility and repentance. Listen, that's where it starts. And we must have that heart of God. It's not about me, it's about you. And so we saw Ezra just uh, in verse number 5 there, and we'll see, read this once again in his humble heart before the Lord. And so as we look at this, let's go ahead and look at Ezra chapter 9, and we're going to read the first eight verses here as these are going to pertain to our message tonight. And we're going to look especially in the prayer itself, the first uh, five verses will kind of give us the lead up, some of, some of the warm up, if you will, and then the last three verses uh, will really help us understand what Ezra was, was praying. So verse number one, Ezra 9 and verse number one. Now when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves, that's that intermarriage and intermingling, and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands, yea, the hand of the princes and rulers have been chief in this trespass. From the leadership down, they were rebelling against the Lord's command for them. In verse 3, And when I heard this thing, I rent my garments and my mantle. I plucked off the hair of my head and of my, and of my beard and sat down astonied. 
And there were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of the uh, uh, God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I sat astonied until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose up from my heaviness and rent my garment and my mantle. I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God and said, O my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to thee. My God, for our iniquities are increased over our head and our trespass has grown up unto the heavens. Since the days of our fathers have we been in a great trespass unto this day. And for our iniquities have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered into the hand, uh, into the king, excuse me, into the hand of the king of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, and to a spoil, and to confusion of faith as it is this day. And now for a little space, grace hath been showed uh, from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in His holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. Let's stop and pray here. Father, thank You once again for the reading of Your Word. Thank You for the power of Your Word in our life. Thank You that it's uh, quick, it's alive. Lord, it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces even the hardest of hearts. And so tonight, as we just, uh, just begin to, to see your word and what was going on in Ezra's day, and more importantly, to learn from Ezra's prayer tonight, I pray that our hearts, Lord, would be tender toward you. And the Lord, we would have a, a desire, an unction, a yearning, Lord, to speak with you now more than ever in our life. Lord, that we might truly be willing to get a hold of heaven, repent of those things that uh, maybe have dragged us down, let every sin and weight would just so easily beset us, uh, and just uh, lay those to the side so that we can follow you. So help us now, we pray, bless your word as we've read it, and Lord, help it, Lord, to do that which you intend, in Jesus' name, amen. As we come here to Ezra, we find that, that truly, in this passage especially, that he has this hunger, this, this desire for the people of God to be the people of God. And really, that is, that is God's ultimate desire for our life. Uh, yea, and all that will live godly uh, shall suffer. But we see also that God wants us in, in the Scriptures. He re, uh, reminds us that he wants to walk with us. And he says, humble yourselves under the hand of, mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And so we see Ezra's reaction was just to come under, uh, under the Lord, to humble himself. And we see this immediately in verse number 3. He heard this. He rent his mantle, a sign of grief. And he plucked out his hair on his head and on his beard. Uh, and he sat down, and the Bible says he was astonished. He was a, amazed by the sins that they had committed. Amazed because it was like the hog going to the mire. It was like the dog returning to his vomit. And he said, why would you go back to this? Why would you continue in this way? Why would this could be the continual desire of your heart? And he's just astonished by what was going on in the midst of this. And there, there are many times when I'm astonished at, at Christians and, and, and as, as we uh, know the word of the Lord, we know what God wants, but we go back to that, uh, that hog wallow. We go back to the, the vomit just as the Bible says there, and he calls us to say, listen, come out from among them and be you separate. And so his prayer here is, a, is a, a prayer that we can see, where we can learn from, and we can grow from. You see, there's no, there's no great moving of God until the people of God are willing to pray. And I believe this is a, a, a very essential part 
of our revival as we desire and yearn for God to bring revival in our own hearts, it must start with the prayer of revival. And so Vance Havner said that revival is falling in love with Jesus all over again. And maybe tonight we've kind of gotten out of the habit of prayer. And maybe this is about, hey, Lord, I want to begin with this heart of prayer. I want to fall in love with Jesus all over again. And really, that's what prayer leads us to. It leads us to a place where our heart is aligned with the Lord once again. And so we're going to be, and we're going to begin here uh, with this thought of revival praying. And as we do so, let me just say it always begins with confession. The Bible says in Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen, "He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy." And so we see that confession starts with the heart and comes out of the mouth. And so. Uh, we see here in the book of Ezra that two times Ezra was astonished or astonished by the sin. Let me ask you, are we still astonished by sin? Think about this. We have been numbed and the society has numbed our sensibilities to sin around us. Remember the first time you saw uh, two men holding hands, for instance. Do you remember how shocked you were at that? And now you see that, oh, so there goes another one. You know, we don't think anything about it. And he says, listen, he saw the sin for what it was. He agreed with God that this is sin. This is not right. And he said, listen, I'm astonished that we would go back to this once again. And listen, as, a, as the people of God, we know what God believes about sin, no matter what form it or shape it may take. And, and are we still astonished at it today? What once would shock us is now just simply passed by as normal. Maybe not everyone in Israel was participating in the sins that Ezra was, was, uh, had shared. Not, not everyone was participating in this intermingling, this idolatry, this immorality. Uh, but the reality was is that often people, often uh, many of these people had just become uh, numbed by the sin that they saw around them. Sin, it's easy for sin to become socially acceptable. And as when, when it becomes socially acceptable, people who are committing sin lose their shame. What is June? It's Pride Month. Why? Because we're proud of the sin in which we participate. That's one example, and, and I'm not harping on that on, on, uh, for, for any particular reason. There's, it can be the sin, many, many, many sins that we ourselves can be guilty of. And so, uh, but I'm just, I'm just showing that example because of the fact that they are bold enough to use the term even pride. Pride goeth before fall and the haughty uh, spirit before destruction. Church, let me tell you, it's not just them, it's me. It's not just the, these people over here, but even it's in the, the house of the Lord. And, and that's what Ezra was looking at. He said, listen, you, you know right from wrong. You know what we just came out of. You realize that we spent 70 years in bondage in Babylon. They're exiled from our country. And yet we're back here living under God's grace. And, and how could we go back to the same sins that put us there in the first place? You see, the wickedness that is most deceptive and dangerous is not the evil around us, but the sin and filthiness that subtly creeps into our own hearts and homes. 
You see, that's what, when we come to the place that we see sin as God sees it, then we're finally on the way to be able to confess our sins, to forsake our sins and get them right with the Lord. And so we must see ourselves as God sees us, and then we must say, what God, uh, we must say about our sin what God says about our sin. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says we must agree with God about sin. That's literally what confession is. Lord, I agree with you that this is sin in my life. Lord, I agree with you that this is not right. I need to make it right with you. And so Ezra was a holy man of God. And listen, listen, to, his, listen to his prayer here in verse number 6. He says, and said, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head and our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. He didn't say, Lord, look at their sin. He said, listen, we have sinned. We have, we have forsaken you. You see, no one can be right with God without seeing the sinfulness in their own heart. So revival is not about sinners getting saved. It's about us, God's people, getting right with the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 17 says, For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them be that obey not the gospel of God? But let it begin with us, right here in this place. So some people say that confession means to plead and beg God for forgiveness but it literally means, remember, to say the same thing. And so when we finally say the same thing about sin that God says, and when our heart is turned to agreement with God's heart, then we can be right with Him. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess, if we agree with God about our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are we ready to agree with God or are we hanging on to something? Well, you don't understand, Pastor, I, you know, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of pride. Well, you don't understand, Pastor, you know, it's them that make me angry. It's, it's not really anything to do with it. Well, you don't understand, Pastor, you know how they did me wrong and what ugliness they treated me like. Listen, you don't, you don't understand those things. And you don't understand how hard it is not to gossip when it's fun to do it. Listen, we can go on and on. I'm just picking a little bit tonight. But listen, you don't have to convince God to do what He already wants to do. He wants to forgive. He wants to cleanse. He wants to do these things. What we need to do is just simply be convinced that of what God has already said, that we're a sinner, we're in need of His forgiveness, and may we be willing to say, God, let me agree with you. Look at Psalm 51, would you, in your Bible? Psalm 51. Psalm 51 and verse number 1. Amen, brother... Yeah, he's back here quoting part of Psalm 51, created me a clean heart. Amen. Psalm 51, he says, Have mercy uh, upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. He says, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee. Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shaken, shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest uh, truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. 
You know, you see, the realization is, is that as David prays for this remission of sins, that he desires sanctification, he wants to be cleansed once again. He agreed with God about his sin. He agreed with God with what he had done after he'd sinned with Bathsheba. And he said, Lord, forgive me. Ezra didn't make excuses for his sin. He simply called uh, sin by what it is. And he used a couple of descriptive words here that we want to look at very briefly. He uses the word iniquities and trespasses. Iniquities suggest the idea of crookedness, kind of like some of these old Missouri roads, amen? But listen, the righteous God is always straight, but sin is a failure to walk in God's straight way, and so he takes a tangent. There's a perversion of truth, if you will, and so the way is not straight, it's crooked. Trespass is to cross God's line. We've crossed over something, that, a boundary that God has said, do not go here, and we've crossed over that. And so oftentimes in our home, we recognize that God has, uh, has, uh, has said, listen, I don't want you to put any unclean thing before your eyes. And so we, we lay this, we understand that God's line is here, and so in our life we have set up some standards that's away from the line and said, okay, as a result, we're going to make sure we have filters on, on all of our internet. As a result, we're going to make sure that we don't watch those kinds of movies that are rated PG-13 or anything like that because we don't want to put any unclean thing in our eye. Listen, it's not that, that maybe one or two movies over here is okay. It's just, listen, we've got some standards to make sure we don't cross God's line. I don't want to trespass against the Lord. And so we must confess that in, all, uh, that in so many of our ways, our lives have fallen short of God's perfect standard. The reality is there is none righteous, no, not one. And it's much easier to confess someone else's sin. It's easier to talk about someone else's sin than it is to talk about my own. Listen, I could spot someone else's sin from 100 yards away. But I could have me and mine staring me in the face and I can't see it. Anybody else like that? I think we all are. You see, our pride, our lust, our arrogance, our stubbornness, our rebellion, these things are things that God wants us to get right. Remember that old spiritual song that says, It's not my brother or my sister but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. You remember that? Listen, that's where we need to be tonight. Lord, it's not my brother, it's not my sister, it's me. So when we start our prayer, I like how Ezra just starts this prayer, this prayer of humility here in the text. It says, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head. He says, Lord, I agree with you. I know what we've done. I know where we've failed you. Do you remember, I remember oftentimes as a kid, the preachers would talk about being on praying ground. Anybody remember that? You've got to be on praying ground. And boy, them old East Texas preachers would come down there and preach in our church and talk about being on praying ground. As a kid, I thought, is there a hill somewhere I'm supposed to be on? But what they're talking about is a life where there's nothing between your soul and the Savior. There's no sin there. There's, there. You've confessed those things that have separated you from the Lord. You've repented. You've turned back from those things. And you see, if there's something there between you and the Lord, you're not on praying ground tonight. And it's not a mysterious hill like I thought as a kid. It's saying, Lord, wherever I am, I can pray. No matter where I'm at, Lord, there's nothing between me and you. I know I can talk to you. Listen, you, can, you cannot pray with confidence while holding, holding on to unconfessed sin. Isaiah 59 and verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. Oswald Smith in his classic book, The Revival That We Need, wrote this, We will have to deal first of all with the question of sin. 
For unless our lives are right in the sight of God, unless sin has been put away, we may pray until doomsday and the revival will never come. So in your notes tonight that I left out there in the foyer, if you'd like to have a copy, there might be some more out there. But I gave you some questions to ponder as you consider your own life. Is there anyone you need to forgive? Are you quick to be angry? Is there jealousy? Are you impatient or irritated? Are you offended easily? Is there pride in your heart? Have you been dishonest? And, and it goes on. Is there gossip or criticizing unlovingly or harshly or severe, severely? Do we rob God? Are we guilty of the sin of unbelief? Have we committed the sin of prayerlessness? Are we neglecting God's Word? Are we burdened for the salvation of souls? Have we failed to confess Christ openly? Are we ashamed of the gospel? Let me ask you. Are our lives filled with lightness and frivolity? Have we wronged anyone and failed to make restitution? Are we worried or anxious? Are we guilty of lustful thoughts? You could take that list. I would encourage you in your private prayer time to take that list and to just, just to say, Lord, what is between me and the Savior? But I like what David said just very simply in Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24. He said, search me, O God. And he prayed this prayer unto the Lord. He said, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He said, Lord, if there's something there, lead me to a confession. Lead me to, Lord, a place of repentance because confession is the doorway to revival. So may we begin here, just as Ezra did. Here in verse number 6, Lord, I'm confessing, I'm I'm admitting that we're sinners. And Lord, we need your, your forgiveness, we need your mercy, and we need the blood of Jesus today. But it continues, doesn't just start with confession, but it continues with intercession. Now, intercession is, is very essential here too. In verse number 7, we see the prayer here of Ezra as he goes on. And he says in verse 7, Since the days of our fathers have we been in great trespass unto this day. And for our iniquities have we, our kings, our priests, and have been, uh, been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword of captivity, and to a spoil, and to confusion of face, as it is this day. And so as soon as Ezra had made confession to God, he began to uh, praying for those around him. And we see this uh, here in verse number 7. So, if we think about confession as the doorway to prayer, then intercession is the family room. It's the place where we're able to bear the needs of, of others to our loving Heavenly Father. Nothing reveals the heart of a person like their prayer life. You ever prayed with someone and man, you said, man, they, they love the Lord. You can sense it in their prayer life. You ever prayed with someone and you thought, man, I, I, don't, I don't know what they love, but it sure ain't the Lord. You know, there's a difference. You can, the heart of a person is revealed. And sometimes even our prayers can be self-centered. James even warned about this in James chapter 4 and verse 3. He says, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your, own, your lusts. And he says this, listen, you can pray selfishly. Your heart can be full of your own desires and your own lusts and your own uh, ambitions instead of being heart part uh, and in line with the Lord. I want you to go back with me to the Garden of Gethsemane in your mind, and you see Jesus Christ kneeling there as the, uh, the, as the, uh, he was praying so intently that the drops of blood were just uh, coming from his face there in that their very critical moment. And as he prayed, we, we, I just remember the words of Jesus echoing through time, and he says, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Lord, this is my will. This is my desire. If there's some other way for the redemption of mankind, I'm willing uh, to, to uh, acquiesce to that. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. 
You see, you know what he was praying? He says, Lord, I don't want to pray selfishly. Lord, I want to pray it in according to your will. In the model prayer there, we often call the Lord's Prayer. He says, Thy will on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we see that, that part of the prayer on what we're saying, Lord, is we align our, ourselves, we align our prayer, Lord, with you. We submit to you. It's a prayer of humility. And so Ezra's prayer list, though, can become our own because it begins just by describing the people. The, they, they, we see them here in seven, verse 7 as a people in bondage. They've been destroyed. They are confused about what is right and wrong. Does this sound familiar about our nation? When we see people today, maybe they're not in bars, but they are in the bondage of sins and addictions. We see people today whose lives have literally been destroyed. I, was walking, I stopped in the other day in my visitation. I was sitting at, at Wendy's on the northwest side of Springfield eating a sandwich. And, and as I looked up, I saw a man walk by, and, and you could tell he was tweaking. And, and his, his body had bore the scars and the marks of a life that had been living on the street for quite some time. And I looked at that life, and I said, Lord, I said, I don't know how you're going to reach him. And Lord, I don't know how you can possibly uh, break through all that, that we see. But Lord, Satan is the destroyer, and he's destroying this man's life. I said, Lord, would you please help him to be reached with the gospel? See, if we could only see the souls and homes uh, that are in our community from God's vantage point, it would motivate us to pray. Remember, the greatest thing you can do for hurting people is to help carry their needs to God. Intercession. It's interceding on behalf of someone else. Let me ask you, when was the last time we wept over a soul? How long has it been since we fasted and prayed over someone that we know is away from God? And maybe the Lord is trying to take this time of revival and break our hard hearts and to shake us out of our lethargy and help us to be able to be revived once again and hungry for the Lord all over again. Remember when Lot was in Sodom and he was there and, and he was enjoying all the pleasures that were there and we saw his family be destroyed in Sodom, a, a, a city that was truly a sinful city. And as he was there in Sodom, uh, God came to Abraham and, and God told Abraham his plans for Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, listen, I'm going to destroy those two cities. And Abraham remembered, I've got a nephew there. I got a nephew in the city of Sodom. And so he said, Lord, he interceded on behalf of Lot. He said, Lord, if there's 50 righteous there, would you destroy the city for 50 righteous? And the Lord said, no. Lot got to thinking. He said, well, maybe he's not been that great of a soul winner lately. Let me, let me try this again. And he said, Lord, what if there's only 40? He said, no, I won't destroy it for 40's sake. And he talked him down from 40 to 30 to 20 to 10. And just 10, the Lord said, if I find 10 righteous people in Sodom, I'll spare the city. We know the end of the story. The Lord sent an angel into Sodom, and he pulled, rescued Lot and his wife and his, his daughters that, were, that would go with him. And they left, and as they were leaving, and the Lord began to rain down uh, uh, fire and brimstone upon that city, his Lot turned, wife and she, uh, turned back, and she turned into a pillar of salt. I tell you, as we look at Abraham, we see old righteous Abraham up on that mountain with the Lord saying, please help. He was interceding. Folks, you see, when, when Stephen was murdered, he interceded for those that were casting stones at him. 
Paul interceded for the churches in Ephesus and Philippi and Colossae. Peter in prison, the church uh, was locked in prison and the church interceded and God brought him out of the prison. Over and over and over throughout Scripture we find that God has used the intercessory prayer of the godly saint. The Bible says in James 5.16, he says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Oh, what difference you make as a grandparent and a, and, a, and a parent when you go before the throne of the Lord and you say, Lord, please watch over my child. Please, Lord, help my grandchild to come to Christ. Lord, don't give up on them. Lord, just like Abraham on the mountain talking with the Lord and you're begging God that God would save the soul of those that you love so dearly. What a difference it would make in our church to find uh, some of you Sunday morning walking through the building before church ever begins and walking into the classrooms and just praying over those classrooms and the children that would be there, that the, those students would come in each, the, the, uh, each Sunday morning as they go into Sunday school that, that, that you've already prayed for them and prayed for those teachers and prayed that, that God would help them to understand His Word and their hearts would be open and they would receive Jesus as their Savior. What a difference it makes when we intercede. See, Ezra... He knew what it was to intercede. And we see here, as in verse number 7, he refers to kings and he refers to the priests. This was an acknowledgement of this political and religious leaders of his day. Listen, the civil authorities of our day need our prayers. Listen, I don't care about what your opinion is of any of our governmental leaders. They need your prayer. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2 says, I exhort therefore that first of all, First of all, he says, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. Pray for Biden. Oh, I'll pray for Biden, preacher. I'll tell you what. Listen, seriously, the Lord calls us to say, pray for your leaders. Spiritual leaders need our prayers. Our deacons, your, uh, your pastor, I tell you, I was visiting the Harmsworth family yesterday, and, and they've got their own uh, challenges that they face each day after Mark's recovery from his stroke a couple of years ago. And I tell you, I, they're such a sweet family, and I just love to thank the Lord for them each day, and I love them. And as I was there, she said, I, we, we watch you, Pastor, when, uh, on Sundays. And, and she said, I told Mark the other day, she said, Mark, we need to pray for our preacher. And I thought, what in the world? She said, He's hurting. I tell you, it meant so much to know people are praying. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 17, and 18, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. What a difference it makes when we pray. Listen, the Lord's calling on us to pray, to be interceders. Is the greatest thing we can do is pray. It's not the least we can do. Sometimes we say, well, the least we can do is pray. No, the greatest thing we could ever do is prayer. Even Jesus Christ performs this work of intercession. Intercession is the highest form of prayer because it's the kind that the Lord does. Hey, Romans 8, 34 says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercessions for us. Man, church, that's exciting. 
Man, that's exciting to know that, that even when that old, uh, that, the devil that, that comes to the Lord and he tries to condemn me before the Lord, there is Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father saying, don't listen to him, Dad. He says, he's under the blood. Man, don't listen to him, Dad. Don't you worry about what, what Satan says. He's just a fool and you know it. He's the father of lies and he, he doesn't care anything for that, old, that man down there. But I do. I died for him and he believes it. And so, so just trust me, he's good. And I'm thankful I've got an advocate with the, father, with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that I have one that intercedes on my behalf. I'm thankful that he's right there in the heavenly throne room with a prayer meeting on my behalf every single moment of every single day when my head hits a pillow, there's Jesus Christ on the throne room of the Father still interceding on my behalf. Glory. Isn't that good? I tell you, church, I tell you, we don't have to be defeated. Who can stand against us if Christ is for us? I tell you, because He is the one that's interceding on your behalf. No longer should we walk around with heads, uh, heads down and, and, and I tell you, our tails tucked between our legs because we serve a mighty and a wonderful and a loving God whose Son sits right beside Him and He intercedes on my behalf and I have nothing to fear from what that old devil. S.D. Gordon said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Church, we need to pray, amen? Spiritual awakening comes as we quit fussing about everything that is bad and go to the one who is always good. We say, Lord, we trust you to do what you can do alone. A pioneer missionary, Henry Martin, said that he found intercessory prayer was not only good for others, it was also good for his own soul. Intercession was the cure for his spiritual coldness. As we pray for others, God's conscious presence is nearer and eternity becomes clearer. What a wonderful blessing it is to pray for the brethren. And I remind you, prayer is the greatest work because as we pray, God works. When I work, I work. But when I pray, God works. What a difference that makes. Jeremiah 33, 3. Let me remind you of this. Call unto me. And I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. One last part of this prayer as we look here, and that leads to petition. Last verse here, verse number 8. He says, And now for a little space grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. Charles Spurgeon suggested the prayers God answered are the ones that begin in his heart. And so God calls us to pray according to his will. 1 John 5, 14 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. So a good prayer list contains more than names. It has definite needs as well. And revival praying asks for more than physical, material, and temporal blessings. It also seeks a spiritual and eternal help that only God can provide. And that's what Ezra was really looking at here. The second word of Ezra uh, here in verse number 8 says, And now. This demonstrates the urgency of Ezra. You could see, even as soon as he heard of the sins, you could see his response there, his reaction, and he felt an urgency in this moment. Let me ask you, wouldn't you love to see God do something right now? Man, I'd love for, to see God do something even tonight, not have to wait for two more weeks, but to, that tonight God would do something amazing in our life. And, and sometimes we get fixated on Christ's return, and I'm looking forward to that day. But I tell you, I'm watching for His return, and I'm loving His appearing, but it would be glorious if we didn't have to wait till heaven to see God show up in a mighty movement right here tonight. God says, God is our refuge, a very present help in trouble. 
He's here. He is a present help. His name is not I was. His name is not I will be. His name is the great what? I am. And so what we believe about revival should be rooted in what we believe about God. And I believe the Lord wants to do something in this world right now, in you and me, in our life and in our church. And He is the eternal, ever-present God that desires to work in our day. He wants to work even now. So, we need to seek His face. So, let's look here very quickly. Four things from this last verse here that I want to share with you. First, God, thank, thank God for His presence grace. He says in this verse, he says, For a little space grace hath been showed from the Lord our God. He says, right now we've experienced God's great grace. God's brought us back into the, into the promised land. We're here in this area where God has promised our ancestors that we would dwell. He says, we've been showed grace. So praise God for the grace that is shown. The Lord's given us a window of opportunity right now to win the lost, to seek the Lord, to seek others for Him, because the Bible tells us that one day this window will be closed. There's an old song we sing, Work for the night is coming when man works no more. I don't remember all the words. Brother David can take it over. All right. But the Lord says this, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. You see, we have a great God. With thanksgiving, we can make known our request. See that thanksgiving that's there? It's associated with prayer and intercession. Praise ushers us into God's very presence. A thankfulness encourages our faith to pray for, uh, and, and encourages us to pray even more. So let us begin by giving God glory for His goodness. Has God worked in your life? Thank you, Gaynell. Amen. You're like... Yeah, we fell asleep, sorry. I'm, I'm awake now, Pastor. We're good. But listen, the reality is, if we were to sit and count our blessings, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Listen, the God desires that we would continually praise Him and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. Listen, this world is in a desperate situation. The disease of sin has corrupted our society, it's divided our homes, it's destroyed communities, and it's only by the grace of God that we're still here today. And I believe He has given us a space for grace tonight. And the need is grace, great, but our God is greater. Second thing we see, He says, to leave us a remnant to escape. So pray for the remnant. God always has a people, doesn't He? You know, when we think about some of the dark ages and we think about some of those times and those uh, eras of the last 2,000 years in which the church has gone through some very perilous times, and I'm always reminded that God has had His people all along the way. They may not be known by anyone but, uh, on this earth, but God knows them. You may not be known by anyone, but God knows you. And listen, they may be, the people of God may be in the minority, but they are still vital to the work of God. Romans chapter 11 and verse number 5 says, Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Sin may be rampant, Satan may be ravaging, and the world may be reeling, but I'm telling you, there is still a remnant today. It is still a God who lives, a God who saves, and He's still at work in our life today. And even in that tribulation period, there will be a remnant. There will be those who continue to witness and those that continue to share the Word of God with the world. And so now's the time that God would pray up His holy people. That we, would, uh, that we would stand up for Him. That we would ask God to move us out of our comfort zone and into uh, a place where we're willing to believe God, where we're willing to trust God, where we're going to obey God and see what God can do with us and through us for the glory of Jesus Christ in this generation. 
So let's not miss this opportunity that God's given us. Don't say, well, I'm ready for rapture practice, preacher. Whenever you want to go jump up and down on a hill in a white sheet, I'm ready. Instead, let us see that the work is before us. 2 Corinthians 5.10 reminds us that one day we're going to stand before the Lord. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. One of these days you're going to be rewarded. Rewarded according to all that you've done here on this earth as you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's be part of praying for the righteous remnant. Also, he mentions, he says, give us a nail in his holy place. Pray for an eternal difference. Notice this. What is the significance of this nail? Well, think about this. A nail is a starting point. It is a sharp nail that is used oftentimes to start a hole in an object. Uh, Ezra wanted God uh, to, to start something in him and in his people. He said, Lord, give us a starting place. Give us a place, even in my heart, Lord, that where you can take foot and you can take hold. And, Lord, you can do something. Nails penetrate hard objects. And, Lord, penetrate my heart. Lord, nails, uh, nails also hold things together. I, I saw in our children tonight, uh, Sister Gloria had a block of wood and some nails in it. And I thought maybe she read my message. I thought, did you, did you read my message about nails? But listen, that nail, it'll hold things together. Ecclesiastes 12, 11 says, The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies which are given from one shepherd. It is said that inside the holies of holies, in the tabernacle there, that the priests had nails attached to the walls about which they could hang as utensils after they were used for the sacrifice. And those nails were in a fixed place. They didn't move. And, as an, and there was a small thing, but a nail had uh, allowed something else to hang on it. Listen, God wants us to come into His holy of, of holies. He wants us to seek after Him, and He has a place fixed for you there. He doesn't want you to move from it. He wants you to, to be used for His glory and His honor. And, and let me, listen, Christ wants us to have that entry po- place into this holy of holies. He desires to do something mighty in our life. First And then lastly, we see pray for spiritual light. He says here, lighten the eyes. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, and He sheds light on our need and on God's Word. God is light. Amen? We believe that. Only He can illuminate the darkness. And so we need our eyes open, and so we need the Lord to open our eyes. Let me remind you what 1 John 1, 5 through 7 says. It says, This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, what do we do, church? We lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Each time we come to God's Word, may our prayer resemble Psalm 119, verse 18. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold the wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, help my eyes to be open. Lord, don't don't let me sit in darkness, but Lord, help me instead to understand. And I remind you, just like we preached a couple weeks ago, that the Lord's given you His Spirit to teach, to minister, and to uh, help you to understand. And then this is, I think, the last phrase here in in this particular verse. Give us a little reviving in our bondage. So notice that this prayer in verse 8 asks for just a little reviving. Now, Ezra knew the depraved and the terrible situation of all the people that were around him. He knew the situation the people were in here. And he knew that even a little bit of the life of, that God offered would be enough to set his people free. 
And so Ezra was professing his faith in God's sufficiency in this moment. He said, listen, Lord, even a little of you is enough. He said, faith as a grain of a mustard seed is enough to be able to say to this mountain, be thou cast into the sea and it will be done. And so a little move of God in a town, especially in Springfield, could really change it forever. Man, if God got a hold of just a, a few of the saints in the church, what a difference it could make in our church, in the community for Christ. When Jonathan went up to battle against the Philistines, he told his armor bearer, listen, we don't have to worry with or just few or many because God doesn't save by many. He says in 1 Samuel 14, 6, And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, let us go, up, uh, uh, go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised, that it may be the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord, to say by many or by few. Sometimes we get down and say, listen, there's less of us than there are of them, Pastor. Listen, God doesn't see the numbers. When uh, Elisha was there in the city, and, 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 uh, and uh, forgive me, I can't remember if it was Sennacherib or who it was that brought his army down, and, and the army was surrounding the city, and, and Elisha's uh, uh, servant came to him and said, listen, he said, we're surrounded. And Elisha walked outside and he said, Lord, open the eyes of my servant that he may see what God was doing. And all around that city was all the angels and the hosts of heaven protecting Elisha in that moment. Oh, that our eyes would see. Oh, that we would see God not saved by many, but saved by faith. Amen? And we can just trust the Lord. Habakkuk, in his day, he desired for revival just like we do. And he said, Oh, Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. Oh, Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath. Remember mercy. He called on God and said, God, please bring us revival. God, please, in the midst of the years, in the midst of all that we've gone through, Lord, we need revival. But listen, it's not they need revival. Lord, I need revival. Lord, it's not them, it's me. So Lord, revive me tonight. The reality is it's far easier to pray sometimes though for relief than for revival. We go through a difficulty and we just want the difficulty to be over. And it's easier to pray that God would end the suffering than that we would experience His presence. Sometimes we're more consumed with our comfort than we are with God's glory. And so for revival to come, we must be first concerned with the glory of God and His will being fulfilled. J. Uh, J. Edward Orr said that each move of God was distinct. Some were characterized by great preaching, some by great singing, but all of them were marked by one thing, extraordinary prayers. Ordinary prayers are praying when we're in trouble. Ordinary prayers are praying over our meals. Ordinary prayers are praying in services, maybe even praying by our bedside with our children. Ordinary prayers are just those ordinary prayers. Extraordinary prayers, though, are those prayers that seek God day and night until He does that which is beyond the ordinary. You see, the primary goal of prayer is not to receive something from God, but to draw nearer to God Himself. We need Him, we need the giver more than we need the gifts. D.L. Moody said, Every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. Let me ask you, will we be the kneeling figure? Would you bow your head? Our Father, we come before you tonight. Lord, and we confess, Lord, our prayerlessness.
We confess oftentimes that, Lord, we trust in our own abilities, Lord, instead of trusting in you. Lord, we worry about form and function, but, Lord, we forget that the relationship is what really matters. And so help us tonight, Lord, to be willing to come before you, confess, Lord, to repent and come into your presence once again, hungering and thirsting for you all, all over again. And Father, we, we recognize that, Lord, you want us to pray for one another. And Lord, not just as material things, but Lord, we would pray earnestly, Lord, for you to do a mighty work in one another's lives, building up faith in, in, uh, in the brethren, Lord, that you would work in a mighty way here in this place because we would be willing to be that kneeling figure tonight. And so, God, would you take this time of prayer? May it not be an ordinary prayer, but, Lord, may this be a time of extraordinary work from an extraordinary God. In Jesus' name, amen.